Greetings, lovely people, and welcome to the Dread in the Shed podcast. I am Daddy Cam of the One Love Army, and I am in the shed telling my stories. Welcome, listeners. Thanks for tuning in. And where was I? Oh, yeah, cliffhanger. I was in the Cambridge pub and got talking to Prince Fisheye and he invited me to join his band or this band talk over and um, as I said following that conversation my life was never the same I think I left it there now then sorry to be a tease but I'm going to leave it there for a minute because I've got to give you some more background and so I'm going to have to um, skip back through the timeline and um, weave (laughs) this tapestry and uh, funny enough my daughter said to me the other day, Scarlett said to me, Dad do you know how to do plaits? And I think I do know how to do plaits. I think I remember doing them. But I said, um, you know, it's not something I've done for a long time or not something I do every day. And um, doing these podcasts and telling these stories is a bit like doing plaits. You know, taking a bit from the other side into the middle and then the other side into the middle. So I'm going back in time, starting the plait a bit more. So we've got so many strands to this story because... I have to tell you about really who I was and I have been giving you some background and I'm hoping you've got a good impression of the person that I was. Um, Okay, you know, there were fights and so on, but I wasn't particularly a violent person and I didn't get into, you know, that many fights. I got into fights, but not that many. Um, I'd been to church I'd left the church, and we are we are in the 70s now at this point, mid-70s. And, um, you know, I had my first tentative um, steps into relationships and so on and so forth. Anyway, um, and I'm hoping you're getting the image that actually I, I was a bit of a dreamer, and I wasn't particularly fashionable. Now, when it came to fashion, you know, you could go to either of my two brothers and they would know what was in and they knew what was what and I could you know hear from them what was what but I had no idea I don't know how they knew so I've always been a bit in this world and not of it and playing catch up I think from day one anyway um I'm rambling because I'm trying to tell a story and I'm trying to give you the background and and tell you uh you know what led to that moment and and the changes that happened afterwards may very well be another podcast so um bear with me (laughs) right where was i now yeah an unfashionable boy now um musically now within our household growing up um we didn't have that many records i mean we'd listen to top of the pops we'd listen to the radio and so and so forth and the first kind of vinyl i remember um was a sly and the family stone album the one with everyday people and everybody's a star 
and we loved that and we used to play it on this old mono record player you know the types with the lid you know little speaker and yeah those ones so um i think my sister sharon kind of controlled it in the early days so we're going back you know 1969 70 before she left home so um and uh, i think the record player stayed in the family for quite some time anyway the other the other record was um I think a whole lot of love. It was the album with a whole lot of love by Led Zeppelin, and of course, you know we loved that too. It was music. You know, you put the record on. This technology was amazing, and uh, we'd we, we rock to anything. So, um, so I liked all sorts. As I said, I had no particular taste in music. So, growing up, I liked all you know the pop tunes and so on and so forth. Now, I always liked the reggae music. It was always for me something a bit special. Could never really get enough of it um, um, even though we did get bits and pieces throughout the years in fact I'm just remembering now you know top of the pops in the 70s when uh, when the black acts came on the TV you know we'd cheer me and Dougie would cheer um, you know it was a different different kind of age then so just to see black people on TV was a was a great thing and um, yeah, so we loved the black music and so on and so forth, but we liked all the pop music too. So, um, anyway, I'm rambling. Where was our musical taste? Yeah, and, and not really having any particular taste. Now, I also remember around about the age of 16 when I'd stayed on at school, a friend of mine, Peter Leach, had lent me a couple of albums, you know, Tubular Bells by Michael Oldfield, very popular album at the time, and I loved that. And also like the Eagles greatest hits and I love that um, so what I'm trying to say is I mean I loved all these different genres of music and of course I'm the boy who's sitting in his room on the guitar age 13 14 playing Tom Dooley and you know I'd kind of moved on since then and got into Buddy Holly songs I used to play Beatles songs on the guitar so this is the but always with this dream of being in a band he says I love the music and always dreamt of um, performing and being in a band anyway so you know that, that was my kind of taste in music so I was then off to work as I've mentioned you know, I'm off to work now and I'm working in the bank you know let's get, um, get a move on um, I'm working in the bank first paycheck I did go and buy a couple of albums you know buy some clothes buy a couple of albums and the first albums I bought was one was an old Beatles album and another one was the shadows like greatest hits of the shadows and I loved that all Apache and so on and so forth and uh, listening back to some old Beatles tracks brilliant so you know and we were like 1976 77 uh, at the same time punk rock is coming out and uh, I remember Dougie coming home with his some a part of his hair dyed red and he had in his face and uh you know, so punk rock was going on and you know I was I was cool with that as well the sex pistols were then you know Dougie was more into it than me but again I, I seem to like everything and of course Bob Marley had come over in 1975 and his reggae was bubbling under you know um mostly in the, the towns and cities but um it was it was it was on the radar anyway so i'm rambling i'm i'm getting there um where was i yeah so the second month's pay i remember now my brother marlon as i'd mentioned in another episode had told me about bob marley i thought i'm gonna buy a bob marley album so um, you know we were immersed in the English culture and it was it was the birth of 
England or the UK as a multicultural society in that time. Um, but we were also hungry for the Caribbean culture, you know, but we were, you know, quite removed from it where we were in St. Paul's Cray. So um, anyway, um, um, anyway, yeah, so second month, I'm going to uh, buy the Bob Marley album. Now, I'd heard some tracks from the live album that he'd recorded at the Lyceum, um, but there was another album there, Rastaman Vibration. I thought, I'm going to buy that one, so I bought that one. Um, this was in, I think, Harley Quinn Records in Cheapside in, in the city. And, um, and I took my record and I got on the train at Holborn Viaduct and um, and it was a train down to St Mary's Cray and I thought I'd have a look at this album and I opened up this album and I'm looking at these songs and I had no real idea about Patois you know I had an idea of a West Indian accent but certain phrases and, and so on and I'm looking reading these lyrics and I'm I'm reading Tromikan Minokarna Foul I'm seeing cook, 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 cluck, cluck, cluck. Well, I'm sitting on this train. I'm in my three-piece suit, and um, and I'm thinking, what is all this about? But I'm fascinated. I've got to get this album home, get it on the turntable, stick it on the turntable. It rusts my vibration. First track, love that. But the track that really did it for me was Who the Cap. Fit. So there's a line in there where it begins, I think, man to man is so unjust. Children, you don't know who to trust. Your worst enemy could be your best friend, and your best friend your worst enemy. Now, hopefully you all know that track. <coughs> Excuse me. But <coughs> that that track resonated with me you know it resonated with whatever it was you know that was you know part of that dreamer part of that whatever that spiritual boy that wasn't religious particularly um that track resonated with me it was a part of me and that was it you know i was hooked bob marley that was it he touched me um he was now my my big brother my teacher and um, and so yeah, I started getting to the Bob Marley albums. I think I maybe bought the live album next, and then I think the next one I bought, apart from the Catcher Fire, was Burning. And I bought the Burning album. I think it'd been released 1973. And uh, I opened that album up when I got home, and I looked at the pictures inside. And if you have the album, it's the one with the brown cover. Um, I've opened it up and there's photographs in there of like rural Jamaica and there's some old Rasta man and there's a you know like a donkey and then there's some some Rasta children playing and I looked at it it was like wow this is the Bible this is this is the people from the Bible this is the Bible it's like I was looking down a time tunnel and I was looking at the people of the Bible. Wow, I didn't know that these people existed. You know, of course I've seen Bob Marley with dreadlocks, but I'd seen it as an urban dreadlocks, you know, he's on stage. I had not seen 
this kind of culture and again I just thought that's my people anyway so as I say this was all 1977 maybe so I was playing catch up with the reggae thing but now I'm hooked and I started to kind of get into Bob Marley's back catalogue and I'm getting to the Bob Marley scar tunes and so on and so forth <clears throat> now as I said I'm trying to plait these, these stories together because at the same time as the punk thing had been going on in 1977 um, by the time time rolls on we're getting into 1979 or getting through 1978-79 and I'm getting into the back catalogue um, the fashion is changing and we had the emergence in England of the Rude Boys and it was a renaissance a kind of skinhead renaissance but slightly different is a Rude Boy renaissance and um, to do with the two-tone music and it was very much a coming together, very much as it had in like the late 60s with the skinheads who'd loved the reggae music. It was a bit like a renaissance of that era, or era, shall I say, not era. <laughs> anyway, so that had also gone on, and, and, and Dougie and Duke and Terry, they were at the forefront of that. They were the original Rude Boys, and I'm, I'm not exaggerating, they went to see the Special AKA when the Special AKA were known as the Coventry Automatics when they first came to London, got to know the band and so on, and uh, and the band wanted um, to name their followers something, and I think Dougie would tell, tell you it's uh, Terry O'Brien said, how about the Rude Boys, and so the Special said, yeah, the Rude Boys, and so the Rude Boys thing, was so these were the boys out of Cray and Orpington who were the original rude boys from the two-tone thing let me just you know say that for the record anyway those same boys <laughs> my younger brother and his friends used to gather outside my window when I used to play the scar because they'd got into the specials and madness and so on and you know they liked the scar music so they used to listen to what I was playing because I'd got into Bob Marley and I'd gone retro so we kind of met there they said, Cam, you know, you should come with us, you know, come see the specials, you'll love it. And, you know, you know, so, you know, cut my hair, you know, got some Levi's, you know, Dr. Martins, and I joined the Rude Boys. And as I say, that was the time of the uh, the brogues and mohair suits and the ties, you know, um, a la Trafalgar, the Battle of Trafalgar Square, you know, I was dressed in that way. This is about 1979 by now. So um, we used to go along and watch the specials and madness and so on and so forth. And of course there were fights between Nazi skinheads and anti-Nazi skinheads and it was all part of the excitement. Um, great times. But anyway, I'm not dwelling on that. Um, <laughs> it was my first kind of time of actually being maybe um, in fashion with something. It was a happening thing. So there I was, this kind of two-tone boy so it, it kind of worked for me wearing a suit I was wearing a suit to work and I think maybe by 1979 I was maybe in the civil service so it was you know I'd um anyway so I'd, I'd found the Cambridge at some point 1979 it would have been yeah or something like that anyway so um so there's me in the music and um and I think round about 
that kind of time, so we're going 1979 now, Dougie had had learned to play drums, Marlon had learned to play the bass, I was a guitarist, and we were toying with the idea of forming a band. Um, We never got round to it because um, one evening I walked into the Cambridge pub (laughs) and got talking to uh, Prince Fisheye and he invited me to join his band Talkover who were rehearsing to Prince Farai. Now by then I was kind of aware of more reggae artists. Bob was still my favourite but I checked out other reggae artists. I was still playing catch up up. (laughs) but um, I was still playing catch up Um, and and Obviously, um, some people were more informed than me. Anyway, so I did join the band. I said yes, and, and me and my brothers never actually formed formed a band. That wasn't to be. I'm sure we would have been formidable if we hadn't imploded. Anyway, so um, I joined the band, Talk Over, and I went off to um, rehearsals in South Norwood, St Mary's Road. And uh, I don't know if if Henry and Eddie and, and Fish were squatting in the house, but it was next door to Clive's house. Clive, aka Surgeon, who was you know um, later to become my musical partner in crime, um, as the other half of Surgeon and Herbtree. Um, but that's another story. That's further up in the eighties, and I'm still hanging around in the seventies. Not quite out of them yet. Um, because I'm joining my first band and it's <laughs> it's my dream come true, isn't it? You know, I've been dreaming of that since the since the age of four, watching the Beatles getting chased down the road. So now I'm in this band. Now it's not quite the Beatles. Uh, this is quite an eclectic collection of young men. Um, you had Henry, the drummer. I think he was the senior member. He was about 24 years old. He had Eddie, he's the, um, he was the bassie, and about, maybe about the same age, they worked together at Hills, and I think Henry um, had been to Maidstone Art School, he was a graphic designer. Um, Patrick, who was later to become the bassie, I think he used to do a bit of the engineering originally, he later became the bass player. Um, and again, I'll tell you more about um, talk over in a bit. And then we had Prince Fisher, who'd introduced me to the band. And as I've mentioned, we had Clive, who lived next door to the band. And we rehearsed in this very sparsely, <laughs> sparsely decorated house in South Norwood. And uh, it was a, it was a eye opener to me as well. And um, Anyway, after the first rehearsal, I remember being in the Cambridge and Clive came up to me and he said, um, we like what you do, but it's not really what we want. Uh, So he was kind of uninviting me out of the band. Um, Somehow I stayed. And somehow, from what was quite a frosty start between me and him, uh, we became great, great friends and uh, companions and comrades. So um, 
but that, that that is another story so i think i've kind of given you the background of what led to the moment of joining the band um of that conversation i haven't really gone too much further into it because i think that's for another podcast i do thank you for listening thank you for your patience bear with me um i'm slowly putting it together and i'm hoping you're getting the picture um but for now i'm going to say one love army i salute you all of my listeners i salute you and thank you for listening and it's blessed love to all mankind from the dread in the shed give thanks